good day to you. Stuart here at Strength for Tomorrow Radio. Um, it's Friday again, which means time for another episode. And uh, this is what you've been waiting for all week. Especially the joke of the week. I always get good reports on that. Last week, we discussed prenatal training or antenatal training if you're into whatever Greek or Latin or whatever it is and you want to try and pretend that you're all educated. <laughs> this week, we're going to discuss postnatal training, some nutrition advice, um, and what is, um, it's going to look like basically um, and some things to consider after you have had a baby so you've had your beautiful baby boy or girl doesn't matter they're all beautiful not right um, you're adjusted to interrupted nights of sleep you know your eyes are hanging out of you now you want to get moving again or you just want to start moving if you weren't moving before you got pregnant where do you start what do you do what should you not do keep listening and you might just get some inspiration for workouts and some nutrition um, and some other things to bear in mind after you've had a baby, or at least get pointed in the right direction. So we didn't really discuss the birth and delivery on the last episode, so I thought it would be good to discuss this week's topics in some sort of chronological order. So obviously labour and then the delivery. You don't need me to tell you because I'm sure your birthing classes uh, will, you know, we're all supposed to go to aren't we? men and women nowadays, will tell you all about it. Um, but I've noticed that there are certain principles from training that are really applicable to labour. And I know like, people are going, oh, come on, Stuart. You see, you see applications everywhere from training. But really, this well, this, it's really good because this is my podcast and we're talking about uh, postnatal fitness. And uh, yeah, and you. So we're gonna, I'm going to apply it because they are applicable. And it's not 100% exactly the same, obviously, but... You can apply these principles to both and it should make sense. So first one is breathing. Now, breathing is a massive topic whenever it comes to labour and birthing and all that. Some people go out there and embrace all sorts of wizardry and you know, try and help them. Some people go for hypnosis and all sorts of things to get them through it. But whatever your thoughts or approach are to that, um, the undeniable fact is that breathing does matter. Funnily enough, you never thought you'd be listening to this so that I could tell you that breathing matters. What a bombshell, eh? Um, but it's, it's important when it comes to training and it's important when it comes to labour the ability to control breathing and to manage it is sometimes the difference between the top athletes in the world if you compare, I guess CrossFit is probably the most um, the easiest one to compare but if you compare the top CrossFit athletes obviously they're really fit and the fittest guy always wins or the fittest girl always wins but how they compete, how they execute their, their capacity for fitness it's how they control their breathing quite often it's how they manage that's how they interpret how they're breathing. Are they breathing too heavy? They need to back off. So breathing correctly, whenever you do a heavy set of squats or deadlifts, it is imperative to completing the job without feeling it in your, your back or feeling you know somewhere you shouldn't feel it. If you want to keep your lower back safe, you have to breathe correctly um, and you create that tension. But if you focus on your breathing during birth, and it can really help you concentrate on the task at hand. It impacts how your pelvic floor and core muscles uh, are able to operate switching on, switching off, and how you manage the pain as well. That's quite important, obviously. So how do you do it? It really is actually, it's really, really similar to, to heavy weightlifting. I'm going to draw this comparison a few times in this episode because it really is applicable. Any ladies out there who lift heavy will understand why. And if you don't understand why, go start, start doing some heavy squats or deadlifts, and then you'll know that I'm not talking through my hat. Basically, it's called the Valsalva Maneuver. You can look it up. You take in a big breath and... Not only are you trying to think about filling your lungs, you're also thinking about pushing your diaphragm down and expanding your belly too. This is exactly what you do whenever you, you know, just before you do a, a heavy back squat. The difference is when you're trying to push a baby out and when you do this, the perineum, the tissues around your vagina will expand. So that's a bit different, obviously. You're not thinking of that when you're going at the heavy set of squats, are you? Or heavy deadlift? Hopefully not. Where the other difference, I guess, is it comes whenever you exhale. So you will think about breathing down rather than out. So down through your torso, from your diaphragm to your vagina. Practice makes perfect. So if you're going to give birth soon, you might want to start practicing this. It's much easier to do these things before you've got a human about to appear. It's less unsettling, I would say. And concentrate better. Um, don't be afraid also to make sounds. Whenever you're in... In the birthing room and you know whenever you are you're you're in labor don't be afraid to make sounds when you're inhaling or exhaling that can really help you emphasize and focus on the breathing better 
um you know it's your day you do whatever you want other people are just spectators really aren't they um put it crudely trying to relax your head and your neck and your jaw and all right around that area don't let any pressure build up there place your hands in front at the bottom of your rib cage to get a physical feel of where the air is actually going effectively you're trying to breathe the baby out if you can get your head around that concept something else that can help with the delivery with the birth and um, labor and all of that is your mindset so how you control your emotions is really really important just as it is whenever you're training if you allow fear anxiety stress worry pressure to overcome you it can mean that things will not run as smoothly as they otherwise could do it's easy for me to say obviously being a man and all that but that doesn't make it any less true we all know that our emotions can get the better of us and it produces a, a physical outcome for good or bad like if you're going for a job interview and you're nervous and you're oh, i've never heard you know, big sweaty armpits, won't you? Kind of big patches down the sides. Um, if you're a singer and you're a bit nervous, all of a sudden you're gonna really back off in those high notes because your mouth and your your uh, your throat, everyone's not gonna open up the same. You're not gonna be as free and you're not gonna be as, as loose. Um, if you're stressed or scared, it can cause it can actually cause your very posture to kind of fold over, and maybe without you realizing it, you almost put like the fetal position again, um, for protection. If you approach your labour feeling in control, not rushed or panicked, scared, you'll be able to think more about controlling things, going through the process, going through what you're doing, focusing on the moment, focusing on what you're actually able to control. And you know, taking charge of things in a really relaxed way will it'll you know, with confidence, you can have confidence in the staff that are around you, whether it's a midwife or a doctor, um, and whoever else you have in the room, whether it's your 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 husband or partner or whatever, to encourage you. And to help you focus rather than stressing you out. Um, and surprisingly, it can help things go much smoother than the alternative. You know, someone's running around the room like a headless chicken. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Oh, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. That's not going to help, is it? Sweating profusely, sitting in the corner, rocking. Um, I think I was eating a bag of um, beef jerky just before Karen started going for it. <laughs> whenever, we, whenever we were in with Olivia. Because I, I hadn't really ate all day. And uh, I felt bad eating, you know, Karen's in pain there, she obviously eating is the last thing in her mind, and I sort of felt bad, but try and, try and, I think chilled out is the best approach, and I'm sticking to that. So if someone else shows nerves, chances are it's going to make you really nervous too, right? Another important aspect when it comes to birthing is the control, so you're in control of it. Uh, you know, you might think it's a midwife, you might think it's, you know, da-da-da, you're in control. You know, we've all seen the movies whenever you know, the midwife or the doctor is commanding operations and telling the expecting mother, push, push. But in reality, you will know when it is best to push. And, you know, whenever you really go for it, um, you are more in tune with how your body's feeling, the sensations that you're experiencing than any, the very best doctor or midwife in the world. You will know better. Um, I remember the, the midwife that we had, um, um, my wife and I, she was called Patricia, amazing lady, really, really lovely lady. She she was fantastic. She kept asking my wife, though, if she felt ready to push. And that's really important is that, you know, they're almost, they're, they're consulting with you and they're not, they're not telling you, they're not commanding you because that can make you feel pressured. It can make you feel rushed and then stress goes up and worry, anxiety, all that stuff goes up because you're trying to push and you're not ready to push. Um. So yeah, she was great. She really encouraged her, and you know, whenever it was go time, it was go time. She she really got her got helped her get going and coached her through it. Um. So yeah, being stressed and anxious is not a good way to be. Like we said earlier, the amazing thing is, you have this innate, built-in sense to know when to push. Every mother who you know who's ever been through it will tell you, you'll just know, you'll just know, and uh, that's that's pretty cool. An important aspect of when you're doing weights is the rest periods and I can't emphasize this enough because there's lots of my clients who come to the gym and they just want to go 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 all the time and they'll do a set and then they'll want to rest for 30 seconds and go again and I would tell them you need to rest three minutes you need to rest four minutes you're trying to get stronger you need to get you need to rest longer so the rest time is important depending on what your goal is you need to make sure your rests or rest periods are long enough um, and they are they are right for what you're trying to achieve so they're really important in birthing as well. You just can't keep pushing and pushing and pushing all the time. You can't just keep working, working, working all the time. Not only will you be exhausted, but it's also been shown to be quite ineffective. 
you'll, you'll not get very far and the baby won't get very far. You want to allow your uterus to do the work. Think of it as a, you know, one step forward, sorry, two steps forward, one step back kind of scenario, you know. So with every contraction, the baby moves forward two steps and then, you know, moves back one step. Um, but still further on than it was before, right? Still with one step, but sometimes it's easy to you know, just tighten up and what, what can happen is you can put strain on your perineum and pelvic organs, which is important to avoid doing that. You want to rest and relax the muscles when it's possible in between the contractions. Choosing a setup that's right for you, you know, whenever it comes to squats or you know, bench press or you know certain exercises, there's some fundamentals that are just non-negotiable. So your heels stay down in the squats. You know there, there's lots of other things as well. We we'll go into details, but there's some things that are non-negotiable. There's some things that you just always have to be have to do in a certain way, because outside of this, the risk of injury greatly increases as well as um, the loss of effectiveness. But there are some things you know about. Your stance in a squat, maybe you know how far your heels are apart, how how much you point your toes out, all those sort of things. Um, you know where, where you grip a bench press or what you do with your elbows. There are certain things that are quite personal and depend on your individual anatomy. You'll find a position that best suits you. You know the length of your femurs and uh, your hip connection, all those things. Similarly, whenever you're labouring, not everyone might be suited that just lying on their back on a bed and hoping it's over soon. Some people. Feel better standing up. Some people feel better lying on their side, maybe squatting, leaning forward, holding onto something, sitting, standing with your hands and your knees, rocking. There are lots of different options, and many women, I guess, don't realize this. Um, having chatted to some over the years, there, and then I, I was quite surprised by this as well. But lots of different setups, so it is kind of similar to to, to strength training, to weight training. There are certain things that you might need to change about your setup, um, and they might work at different times. During labour, different things might work at different uh, periods of time as you progress through. Maybe you need to get up in the bed and, and lie. Core training is something that before you even get to the birthing room, it's really important to do your core and pelvic floor training regularly. And I can't stress this enough. Nobody does it. Nobody ever listens. You know, the, all the, the birthing classes tell you to do it. Your midwife probably tells you to do it. Your doctor tells you to do it. Your sister who's had a baby tells you to do it. Everybody tells you to do it, but you never do it. Why do you not do it? Just do it. Do it around the car. Set a, set a reminder. Just do it. Reason being, it really it does set you well, set, set you up well for labour and birth, and even just developing that awareness of your pelvic floor muscles, it enhances the controls. So you can relax and then engage effectively in labour. We discussed it already in the last episode, but this doesn't mean doing sit ups and crunches and planks, etc. It means exercise that focus on your breathing and how your breathing interacts with your core muscles, how to activate the pelvic floor muscles and abdominals and relax um, as well. Relaxing them is just as important and Kegels are obviously very important and will help after birth as well. We'll discuss them a little bit later on maybe. Next thing we're going to discuss are C-sections, which are really, really common these days. I think there's something like 30% of all births in the developed world. Are they still allowed to call it the developed world? We used to learn about that in geography, didn't we? Don't know if that's plenty correct now, but there's a C-section. So it's a significant portion of um, all births. Unfortunately, some of the information surrounding C-sections um, isn't the most helpful for new mums. For one thing, it's sparse. There's not very much of it about. But also there's a lot of myths that have been kind of built upon bad advice that have been given out over the years um, by people who really should know better. For example, you can't exercise for at least six weeks after C-section. This just does not make any sense. If you think about it, exercise comes in all sorts of different forms. Performing heavy deadlifts is very different to performing some body weight hip bridges on the floor, for example. And I guess a lot of this bad advice is the result of those who give it out not actually doing exercise themselves. So they don't really understand or know how the body works and what's appropriate and what isn't. Um, and how, how different exercises impact the body. So the fact is that you can do exercise after a couple of weeks if you feel like it it will probably make you feel better much better than sitting about like a planting pot for uh, two or three weeks or six weeks or whatever they recommend some stretches um breath work glute activation pelvic floor work and you know working your deeper core muscles things like that i don't mean heavy deadlifting or heavy squatting or heavy bench press i don't mean doing anything too strenuous Probably, if you're lifting something as heavy as your baby, that's about as heavy as you probably want to be lifting for the first number of weeks. 
that's a given. But saying you should do no exercise, I don't think that's going to help anybody. Walking, of course, is, is considered exercise. Again, depending on the situation, I've said before that walk, walking isn't exercise. It isn't exercise if you are um, fully fit, fully healthy. If you're recovering from pregnancy, if you're recovering from giving birth, it can be considered exercise, I would say. Um, certainly don't jump into lifting whatever you were lifting, the weights you were lifting nine or ten months ago before you had the baby. Pay attention just to how your body feels. Resistance bands, they can be really um, helpful as well. There's lots of things you can do with them. Um, many women also avoid doing pelvic floor training because they've had a C-section. And I would say this is a big mistake. If you think about it, just by carrying your baby around for nine months, it can put excessive strain on your pelvic floor muscles. And that's regardless of the means of delivery. So don't be surprised if you have some incontinence or low back pain or pelvic pain after giving birth, even via C-section. Not only um, the weight and the pressure of the developing baby can cause pelvic floor issues, but also the hormones released after birth. Um, they can cause connective tissues in the body to start softening. So this basically means um, the reactivity and the strength of the pelvic floor muscles can be compromised. I would highly recommend you get checked up, get checked out by a pelvic floor specialist before you return to the gym or before you return to exercise to do any heavy lifting certainly just to be on the safe side so even if your doctor doesn't advise it I still think it's a really smart idea to ensure you're recovered sufficiently and to return to exercise and then whenever you do I'd still start quite easy quite light learn to master your body weight again you know doing side planks squats split squats banded pull aparts that sort of thing and diastasis recti is another important issue to discuss I think We'll be doing you a disservice if we didn't talk about it. It's another really common occurrence after pregnancy. This is whenever the abdominal wall separates to allow the baby to grow and the bump to expand. So basically, the linea alba, that's the connective tissue that runs along your midline, sort of from your sternum uh, down to your pubic bone. It softens, becomes a lot more lax, and this allows the abdominal wall to expand during pregnancy. The goal, whenever you're pregnant, should be to minimise this separation. And after birth, it's all about trying to allow it to heal as best you can, create the best possible conditions for it to heal. Um, when I asked if they were going to check um, on my wife, um, I was really surprised that you know, no one even mentioned it or, or asked her about it. And whenever I asked them um, where they going to check, they sort of looked at me as if with two heads. <laughs> and hopefully this isn't a common occurrence. Hopefully this is, is a rarity and it's a one-off. But you know, other new mums hopefully haven't experienced this. You can, of course, check yourself to evaluate the separation after you've given birth. If you sort of half know what you're doing, what you're looking for, which, you know, professionals who calls the check on a mother after giving birth in the days and weeks following really should know and should be done, in my opinion. I was really surprised about that. You can let me know if that's if you've experienced something similar. Um, if the separation is severe enough with no signs of healing up, you might need to get an operation. This... It isn't particularly common. I guess it's more common in women who've had a few babies, uh, especially big babies, and if you've got quite a small frame, but it is sometimes necessary. So don't be afraid to ask questions and um, get assessed if you aren't sure. That's what they're there for. It's part of their job, and it's what they're trained to do, among lots of other um, important things. One of my clients, whenever she came back to me, she mentioned that her separation, you know, her, sorry, she mentioned her separation to her doctor and, and said, like, I've got this... What do you think I should do? How, do? how can I get it fixed? And to quote the doctor, I don't know their name, I don't know who, what doctor it was, I don't know, I'm not going to entertain doing that, but I don't really care. Sometimes I should care, but she's, the doctor said, I don't know if it was a man or a woman, who knows, said, just do some core work, and that'll help. Set up some crunches, that sort of thing. That's pretty much verbatim what they said. The, the idea was, do set up some crunches. My jaw hit the floor whenever she shared this with me. I said, I was like, what? Are you serious? I was like, you have to be joking me. Avoiding these exercises, if you've had diastasis, if you've got diastasis recti, is just about the first thing you learn in diastasis recti 101. The phrase, you know, phrase stay in your lane has been thrown about an awful lot in the last two years and anyone who happens to express an opinion on what's on the news, what happens to pop up in the news. And, that phrase happens to spring to my mind here, but I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. But just to sum up, if your doctor happens to tell you to do sit-ups or crunches to fix your diastasis recti, don't do it. Don't do that. And on a side note, you might want to think about getting a new doctor. Just a thought.
we've touched on this already but the pelvic floor is a topic that um, it's often talked about but it's rarely done rarely do uh, new mothers or expecting mothers actually do much with their pelvic floor most most new mothers to be honest don't really think about it or realize how important um, it is to train the pelvic floor until after they've had a baby and for the days and weeks after they um, find that they're incontinent and it can really be a frightening time and some you know maybe something that you weren't warned about Whenever it happens, you maybe have lots of questions. What will I always be like this? Will I ever recover? You might fear, you know, even leaving the house in case it happens whenever you're out for a walk and you bump into somebody you know and you've you've got a big wet patch or a trickle run down your leg. But for for other women, they won't even notice anything is different until they start doing something like exercising again. Uh, whenever they try something that involves jumping or bouncing or any sort of impact exercise, they'll get a bit of leakage to greater or lesser extents. It is common, but it shouldn't be considered normal and it shouldn't be just something you put up with or accept because there's, there's something you can do about it. Um, you might need to go to a specialist pelvic floor physiotherapist. You might need to discipline yourself to do some basic pelvic floor training. It, it could be a lot more complex than that. That's as simple as it is, but it might be a lot more complex than that. It's estimated that one in three women experience incontinence. Now, I believe this is actually higher than um than than that stat i would i would say it's higher than that i'm not gonna hazard a guess as to how much higher but i think it's higher due to my experience in working with women in the gym it's not uncommon for a woman to kind of approach me privately and ask if she could switch skipping for another exercise even mothers whose kids have grown up they've maybe just put up with it for you know 15 or 20 years without ever getting anything done about it they just tried to avoid running or skipping or other activities that could set them off it's really nothing to be ashamed about. It doesn't, you know, or embarrassed about. It doesn't have to be tolerated, um, but it kind of annoys me that more women are neglected in this way. No one has ever told them after they've had a baby that incontinence, incontinence is common, and here's what you should do about it. Help is available. It's it's a real shame, and that women have had to live with this for 10, 15, 20 plus years. The actual term for a stress urinary urinary incontinence. So it's S-U-I for short. And the leaking is a sign that the whole system is breaking down. It's not just um, your pelvic floor muscles. That's kind of the last, that's the last barrier. But it's, it's the pelvic floor that's kind of acknowledged most often. Um, there's other associated issues, things like low back pain, hip pain, glute pain, um, pubic synthesis pain. Many women experience other issues like groin strains, IT band syndrome, knee pain and other, you know, they want treatment for those those specific things. But... It could actually be pointing to something which is um, something else, which is why it's important to give your physio the full picture and be honest if you experience incontinence. There's a lot of physios will ask ask a woman, do you, do you experience incontinence? You're like, oh, no, 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 no. Because I don't want to be embarrassed. You know, like, who, who wants to just say that? You know, do you wet yourself? But it's common. So don't feel like you're, you're alone or you're on your own. And it is important to tell people in confidence that it happens to you. It might seem unrelated, but it really could be helpful in your physio trying to connect the dots and treat you for what is actually going on not just your you know tissue damage and your, your groin strain or your knee pain or whatever um you know if you experience leakage when you do exercise you know impact exercise coughing or sneezing don't put up with it do seek help um, even if your gp says you're fine you'll be grand you're in charge of your own health you're in charge you're the one who calls the shots so get yourself seen too there's a really good physiotherapist i might try and stick her details in the notes um, if you're in Ireland here in, in Northern Ireland um, over at uh, Warringstown I'm sure there's lots of other great ones across the country but um, there's I've, I've had her details in the gym for several years now but whenever I first realised this became it's becoming an issue it was an issue for uh, for several clients you might have you know issues with your pelvic floor muscle control so you know either engaging or relaxing them if you, you're you're engaging them too much and you can't relax them that can be an issue that can be a cause, a cause of weakness um, it's like having a constantly contracted muscle and not being able to relax it or it could be issues with your diaphragm so this is why it's important to get looked at by a specialist in this area it might be as simple as you know them teaching you how to contract your pelvic floor muscles how to relax them in conjunction with your breathing it could be a lot more complex but they will assess you they will know and they will help you through it so don't feel you're on your own i could give you loads of tips and like doing you know kegels and stuff um and trying to suck everything up to the inside you but um you know, there's lots of other pelvic floor protocols you probably find them on youtube and elsewhere and but the problem is i could give you those and tell you to do those but it could do more harm than good if there's something more complex going on and something else that needs to be addressed the pelvic floor it is way 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 more important 
than most people realize. Certainly more important important than I realized before I started training, um, both um, pregnant women and uh, women who've given birth. For both men and women, mothers and non-mothers, it's really really important that um, working it with in conjunction with your core and your diaphragm, your breathing. But if you do experience leakage from impact, get seen to. Okay, get a specialist and get it fixed. Don't just put up with it. Don't put up with the, the pressure and the shame or the embarrassment or the just the feeling that you know could happen at any moment or I hope you don't sneeze kind of thing. Go get seen to. So what about breastfeeding? If you have opted to breastfeed or you're thinking of breastfeeding, and I don't want to get into any debate about bottle feeding or breastfeeding, what matters most is the baby's getting fed, right? Agreed? Um, this can be a real point of judgment or contention and it really shouldn't be. It's not his business, but you're, you're your partner and your baby, really, okay? Um, do what's right for you and your circumstances um, and for your baby. Don't worry about the opinions or judgments or thoughts of others who, do, who don't matter in the grand scheme of things. All that being said, we're going to discuss breastfeeding um, and, first of all, some of the benefits that come from it. And this shouldn't be looked upon as a comparative way. I'm not trying to disparage bottle feeding and say breastfeeding is da-da-da-da. Um, or trying to be condescending towards bottle feeding in comparison, we're simply going to look at the things that have been proven and um, some of the proven benefits of breastfeeding. So for one thing, breast milk is a nutritionally complete source of food and it has been shown that it can help actually reduce the chances of it, your child developing diabetes and obesity later in life. Now obviously there's other mitigating factors, there's factors such as like their lifestyle later on, like it's one thing being breastfed and then like it doesn't mean you can eat whatever you want and eat all the sugar and all the crap. Um, or feed your ch child all that crap um, it just sets them up better for life really to avoid those things and it provides the exact nutrients that your baby needs to grow and develop optimally aside from high sources high, high, high amounts high quantities of vitamin D which we will discuss a little bit later but breastfeeding not only has physical benefits for the baby but also psychological benefits as well it helps the mother and the baby to bond and helps prevent postpartum depression some other benefits to you as a mother are it actually helps reduce your chances of developing type 2 diabetes. So these are long-term um, um, benefits, rheumatoid arthritis, breast cancer, things like that. An interesting side note that you maybe didn't realize, and certainly I didn't realize, is that breast, breastfeeding causes a release of the hormone oxytocin, and this enables your uterus to contract faster, and so you start to heal quicker. I, I, was, I knew that... Um, it, it, you released oxytocin in the following days, but I didn't realize that it had that impact on the uterus, which is quite an interesting one. When I was researching all of this a little bit more, so there's there's lots lots of reasons why breastfeeding may not be possible, even if you really wanted to or you plan to. Maybe the baby is trouble latching on. Maybe milk, you know, milk production's down, and um, it's reduced, and the baby can't get enough. Maybe it's causing you pain or discomfort. There's lots of reasons why it might not work out for you. So don't put pressure on yourself or feel bad about it. If you can't, even if you've always planned who really wanted to, there are other options, obviously formula, or you could try pumping and feeding with a bottle. I'm not here to, to try and give you all this sort of advice around feeding, but just to kind of, as a side note, um, it's something I guess I've been through as a parent looking on, and just um, sort of into that age now, I guess, where you get a bit of experience and chat to other parents, but also from a more professional standpoint, we're going to get into that as well on the training and nutrition side of things. But chatting to your health professional, whoever that is, can really help ensure your techniques right. Um, first of all, and that you're holding the baby the right way, you know, make it easy for him to latch on. The old rugby ball technique is a is a common one, I believe. Then with regard to your nutrition and breastfeeding, that's what I really want to talk about. It's so important that you're getting enough calories in. First of all, everybody's different, so everyone's going to require a slightly different amount of calories. There's no easy quick ratio or equation that you can help figure this out some people estimate between four and five hundred extra calories on top of what you would need if you weren't breastfeeding so based upon your height weight age sorry height weight age activity level um, but the fact is you're an individual and there are so many factors that are going to determine your calorie needs the important thing is that you are eating regularly you're eating enough calories certainly it's not the time to try and lose weight um, or lose body fat or get a slimmer waist. Otherwise, what can happen is this, this can start interrupting your milk supply and your baby will not be happy. Believe me, they will not be happy. I'm not happy whenever I don't get my food, so you can imagine how annoyed they'll be. And they can't really express their anger in um, kind of commutable ways that we can. Um, so now that you know you need to get enough calories, what should those calories consist of? First of all, 
you've guessed it, protein. Protein is one of the main ingredients in breast milk, and at a minimum, they reckon you need between 1 and 1 1.2 um, grams of protein per 1 kilo of body weight per day. And you can get this from all the usual suspects. Eggs, beef, salmon, chicken, turkey, peas, beans, um, your other dairy products like cheese and milk. Whey protein as well is a really good, quick option. Um, in those early days, you'd be glad to get anything down your neck. Fats as well, so especially omega-3 omega and omega-6 are really important to consume in sufficient quantities. Helps your baby's brain development. So again, eggs, salmon, seeds, nuts, and nut butters, all excellent sources. And then fruit and veg for their fiber content, vitamins, minerals, antioxidants. If you think about, if you think about all that we're actually talking about, it's kind of what us PTs bang on about all the time. Um, whether you're pregnant or not, whether you're looking after a baby or not, whether you're breastfeeding or not, man or woman, young or old, we should be doing all these things on a regular basis and focusing on all of these. Um, I guess it just means it matters a little bit more because um, if there's a new mother and there's another life depending on what you eat, it's no longer just about yourself. So the more variety of fruit and veg you can get in, the better. But obviously, the more you like a certain certain ones, it's going to be easier to eat them, isn't it? It's going to be easier to revert to those um, and the quantities required for optimal health and quality breastfeeding. Carbs like oats, uh, sweet potatoes, standard white potatoes, uh, rice, quinoa or quinoa as I like to call it, couscous are all excellent choices and are even more important if you've started exercising again to replenish your glycogen stores that you're going to be depleting. Something else to point out I guess is your three square meals a day you know, might go out the window. You might have end, up, end up grazing little and often all day, which is fine. It works for you. Brilliant. So don't feel you have to eat three big meals per day. You might get hungry and um, before that, or you need your meals split up into smaller portions and you just grab smaller ones whenever you want throughout the day. It's one of the benefits of those early days being at home with the baby. Calcium. So calcium is really important to consider and you'll need probably about the same amount as, as normal, but just ensure you're getting it. So thousand milligrams per day milk other dairy foods are obviously great sources quite obvious sources but you can also get it from kale turnip cabbage bok choy um, canned fish like sardines or salmon vitamin d it really is essential for everyone especially us in the northern parts of the world where we don't get much sunlight or get enough sunlight so it's really important but especially for breastfeeding mothers oddly enough the primary Sorry, oddly enough, um, we actually don't get enough in breast milk. It's not there in sufficient quantities. Um, we're hoping actually to get a vitamin D expert on the program on the show next year. So he's going to go into a bit more depth for everybody. How, you know, that's in the works. So look out for that early in the new year. But among other things, vitamin D it helps promote your bones, give you healthy bones, and prevent rickets. And as I said earlier, it's it's quite low in breast milk. Um, and something I guess in some countries it's gonna it's gonna be higher. Sorry, it's got, in some countries you're not you're not gonna need as much because you're gonna help develop it in your body through sunlight. But um, some studies have found that whenever expecting mothers start a supplementing with two thousand international units of vitamin D three at twenty seven weeks gestation, it has significantly increased the presence of vitamin D in their breast milk. So they can also obviously start from that from earlier on, but that's um, what that study showed. And then you can also directly give your baby um, about 400 international units of vitamin D3 per day in drop form. So our wee girl has been getting that in the first years or first months of her life. Um, next thing we want to talk, talk about is getting enough water on board. So again, it's important for everybody. I'm always on about hydration, giving out bottles and bottle, water bottles and things, but especially breastfeeding mothers. Funnily enough, the primary ingredient in breast milk, it, best breast milk is water, so making sure you're hydrated adequately is really, really important. You're going to be the one to suffer, mother, if uh, you aren't getting enough water. So I know you like to think you're putting your baby first and all, but the baby will take all your milk. The baby will take all your moisture from your body through the milk, and then you suffer things like dizziness, confusion, a bit of moodiness, um, even kidney or bladder infection can result. So if your partner or husband, whoever, says... You know, well, you're not saying it. Maybe thinks you're being a bit moody. You can blame it on dehydration. Tell them to go get you a drink of water. <laughs> um, so it's not what you want after you just brought a, a baby home uh, from hospital. You don't want to um, endure any of those. Um, alcohol is something else that we should discuss. 
ideally you've avoided you know it's to be avoided whenever you're breastfeeding because it can be transferred via milk and if you do happen to have a drink um, you, you want to make sure you're going to delay breastfeeding for a number of hours afterwards just to minimize the chances of it being transmitted to the baby caffeine again is something else it, it can seem like a really necessary supplement in the early days in those early weeks you know to get you through the long days after sleepless nights um, but it can lead to a vicious cycle of uh, more agitation for your baby and more interrupted sleep not sleeping well and then you'll probably need you know want to make drink more caffeine and get more coffee into you or whatever and it really pains me to advise you not to drink caffeine because i love coffee but it might be best to avoid it if you can you've probably made it this far so and through your pregnancy and stuff with a little caffeine and then another thing is if you see if your baby starts to get things like you know um, colic symptoms eczema wheezing starts vomiting diarrhea constipation hives or things like a stuffy itchy nose that could be the sign that your baby is sensitive to dairy and you might need to mention it to your health professional health visitor gp pediatrician whoever it is that you chat to it um it might suggest you need to cut out some dairy curb it at least have a chat with them let them assess and then they'll probably advise on that but something to be aware of and then something else that my wife experienced whenever she was uh, feeding in the early days and weeks was upper back pain um, this is something that um, I guess she wasn't warned about and nobody really talked about it and she didn't hear anybody else complaining about it but it was due to the posture of breastfeeding so um, how your shoulders round over and your head's tucked down looking at your beautiful little baby little bundle of joy they're all so cute uh, and your upper back's all rounded as well and rolled forward for extended periods of time because the baby just feeds 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 in those early days and this wasn't something that was talked about because um, you know after what you know a new mother's been through it can seem like quite a minor problem it doesn't really seem like like significant enough to mention but one great way to actually help alleviate this discomfort is obviously a back massage is nice but getting a foam roller or stacking loads of pillar, pillows up behind you whenever you are breastfeeding to support your upper back and your shoulders but getting a foam roller is a great one so the area um, of your back where your ribcage fits around is called the thoracic spine and if you lie on, on, um, in this area on your back on the, on the foam roller give yourself a really tight hug wrap your arms around the front and then roll back and forth uh, while you lift your hips it's a great way to alleviate discomfort massage all that tight tissue around your spine and shoulder blades and it can really help to loosen up your shoulder, up your back, upper back and shoulders and um, that do become really tight and stiff. So what should your training look like after you've given birth? I'd recommend sticking with gentle stretching, body weight squats, short walks, some pelvic floor work and some breath work in the, you know, after the first two weeks or so. First two weeks, just chill out, just recover, just pretend you've just had a major operation and you're just, you know, trying to simultaneously look after a new little baby so that's kind of what happened after that you can start exploring other things so the most important thing to keep in mind is that the fact that your body is recovering like we said it's recovering from a major life um, and body changing event major trauma major a major incident if you want to describe it like that so prioritize how your body is recovering instead of worrying about how much body fat you have or what size your waist is at this time that's the last thing that you really think need to be worrying about or thinking about and nobody else is going to be thinking about it either you can start thinking about that much much later down the line and trying to get get um get that baby that pregnancy weight off but exercise to feel good rather than just merely thinking about burning calories burning calories is not what you want you want to retain calories and you want to give them to your little beautiful baby to make it grow big and strong listen to your body and don't overdo things um so if something doesn't feel right don't do it if something feels like a wee bit too much just pull back a wee bit can't stress importance um, enough of easing back gently into exercise and then of course if you didn't train before you got pregnant your approach to fitness is going to be an awful lot different than someone who had a lifestyle of training and trained throughout their pregnancy starting gently will be the only approach and you might be wise waiting for a little bit longer after you've had your baby compared to someone who was active before and during their pregnancy right up till the, the due date your recovery is incredibly important i can't stress that enough it's if you don't do it properly you're going it's going to set you back it's important for men and women even without the consideration of having a, having had a baby if you're training really hard and you aren't recovering or if you're just training a little bit and you aren't recovering um that's a problem it's not only going to make training much feel much harder it's going to make you more susceptible to injuries and things so 
part of um, this comes down to having a really smart training program that won't beat the crap out of you just to burn energy for the sake of burning calories but one that's going to allow you to recover adequately not leave you feeling sore and tired and broken but ultimately will serve a bigger purpose like either getting stronger or increasing your cardiovascular output something like that it's going to benefit your long term and for it's going to benefit your health after you've had a baby the quantity of sleep you get it really is beyond your control i hate to break it to you um especially long uninterrupted sleep those days are gone they're gone they're just gone at least for a while so what can you do about that naps naps are so important more important than, than getting you know, the dishes done or getting hoovering getting laundry done or any of that i am going to set up because i'm a man not right but um naps are going to be really crucial in those early days if you if you don't know how to nap start learning google it um go to go to uh go to a self some sort of a, a self-help napping guide try and learn how to nap train yourself to nap the sas guys have to train themselves how to nap whenever they're in missions because they're not going to get here or sleep they maybe sleep 15 minutes um and that's it and i have to move on do something else sleep 15 minutes move on you're gonna have to do that pretend you're in the special forces so whenever your baby sleeps, you're sleeping. Um, but aside from that, improving your sleep density, your sleep quality is within your control as well. So preparing to sleep during the day, making your room cool enough to sleep in, avoiding blue light like your phone, your tablet, your TV before going to sleep, putting a filter on it if you need to. So look at your phone those late, late hours. Um, make sure the room is dark enough. Use white noise if necessary. By the way, white noise is a great one to help keep your baby sleeping too by blocking out loud sudden bangs thumps loud sounds supplements as well like melatonin have been shown to really be effective at eating your sleep as well as zinc and magnesium we dealt with sleep in a lot more depth um a few weeks ago on an episode so you can check that out touched on it already but caffeine um it'll also hinder your sleep as well as your baby's sleep so especially if you're breastfeeding them so if you hopefully you're hopefully made you know made it through the pregnancy without um, much caffeine or any caffeine so you can sustain that a little bit longer it's going to be a win-win you will benefit from that the main thing is don't stress if you're going to you know if you start stressing you're going to get less sleep um, you're going to get less sleep anyway to be honest so it's just a fact just accepting that and just trying to make the most of whatever sleep you can do and try and get deep dense quality sleep whenever you can do you're, you know you're going to have to go and feed the baby during the night nearly days and this is just beyond your control Gonna finish off chatting a bit about nutrition. Um, it's something that can really go out the window after birth. And we're gonna talk about it more from a practical point of view here than a um a detailed macronutrient or micronutrient point of view. But men expecting mothers um are so dialed in whenever it comes to things like you know not eating too much fish, high mercury, or you know, avoiding those things, or avoiding soft cheeses or eggs without the lion stamp, all that sort of stuff. Whenever you're pregnant, those things are, are really important and emphasized, and we all are quite well educated in that now. But your nutrition after have you know given birth. It's equally as important, especially if you're breastfeeding, as we touched on earlier. But if you haven't had your baby yet, you might not realize how difficult this is in practice. Just remembering um, or getting time to eat at all can be really, really difficult when you're looking after a little, beautiful, tiny new human who is totally dependent on you for survival and to take care of it. its every need. Let's face it, <laughs> nutritionally dense meals take more time to repair than the more convenient options. And that's true whether you have had a baby or not. Um, instead of feeling really bad you know, feeling bad for not eating like an athlete or worrying about how much fat or how many calories or what you're eating think about just packing the, the stuff we talked about already in the breastfeeding section but things like protein whenever you can not so you can you know train immediately not because you know pro, but, but sorry because protein actually does help you repair it helps repair tissue and healing to occur and it helps to keep you fuller and more satisfied for longer than things like carbs and fats remember your your body has been through an awful lot and there are some there'll be some damage done potentially whether you've had a vaginal birth or a c-section so repair work will be necessary getting enough protein is a really great way to do this your body has come under immense pressure due to the intensity of birthing you've expended vast amounts of energy both in you know, labor uh, and birthing and it's really important that you replenish that energy by eating a decent varied diet in the, the early days as much as you can it's never going to be perfect but if you bear in mind when your body um sorry bear in mind what your body has been through and what you can do for it nutritionally to help 
So the last thing we said about said it earlier, but the last thing you should really be thinking about is in the in the early days and the weeks after you've had a baby is getting into a calorie deficit. The things that I always emphasize for most people is you know getting into a calorie deficit for trying to lose weight, shifting body fat, gain during pregnancy. Forget about those things. Forget about it. Throw it out the window. Forget about it. And you know again, this might be easy for me to say as a man because it can really affect your confidence and all that sort of stuff. I get it. But it really is the least important thing in the world at that particular moment in time after you've had a baby. If you're breastfeeding, um, you're gonna, as we said earlier, you're gonna need extra, extra calories, and um, not, you know, every day is gonna be the same amount. If you had a tough night of feeding, you might need to have a huge breakfast and a bit less later on during the day. Maybe Monday will require three thousand calories, and Tuesday you might only need two thousand three hundred. The point is, don't count your calories. This is not the time. Eat to replenish. Um, help your body repair and, you know, to fill it up. And just enjoy it as well. Enjoy your food. Not only should you eat lots of protein, but loads of fiber, like we chatted about earlier as well. Um, that's going to help you keep feeling full. So there's lots of fiber and things like vegetables. And they're also going to give you lots of vitamins and minerals, like we touched upon in the breastfeeding segment. And then the early days after birth will mean little sleep, uh, disrupt sleep, like we said. And you're going to try and get your energy from somewhere anywhere so snacks are going to be you're like oh, i need something i'm going to you know, get cravings it's not going to be like a crazy weird cravings i guess whenever you're pregnant you hear people like eating cold and all sorts of stuff i don't know but um you'll still get cravings nonetheless probably for chocolate <laughs> chocolate and sugary you know, sweets and things like that probably not fruit but it's probably not a bad idea to get some really quality high quality snacks stocked up and ready to go for you you know high, high protein yogurts uh, things that you can turn to whenever you just need something that will help you and leave you satisfied. It's also really hard to go wrong if you keep it simple rather than complicating things with elaborate recipes or worrying about you know the tiny details. Just buy simple whole foods that are edible on their own um, if, if necessary or just need a few ingredients, a few other ingredients, a few accessories. So things like eggs, cheese, um, butcher's ham, bacon, tubs of hummus, quick rice, um, stock up on fruit your fruit bowl get it filled up chicken um pre-made salads all that sort of stuff and if you can get your groceries delivered even better see if you have to go out of the house and waste the time faffing about or another idea is to stock up on all that sort of stuff before you before you've had the baby you might have a bit more time well you will have a lot more time because whenever the baby arrives you'll have no time so use that time before the baby arrives to stock up put stuff in the freezer and then you can use it afterwards Well, that is about it. I think we've discussed all we need to discuss. Time flies when you're having fun and talking about some of the unmentionable aspects of pregnancy and beyond. Nothing is off limits for us here uh, to discuss. But in all seriousness, I think part of the reason there are so many misconceptions and maybe a lack of knowledge and some confusion around pregnancy and training and stuff um, and after having a baby, what life looks like, how it feels... Um, a lot of times because we don't talk about the uncomfortable details, the kind of embarrassing details or what are perceived to be embarrassing details and especially guys, we don't discuss it or you know we don't think about it quite often and that's like 50% of the population. So it's a big chunk of people who don't know what the crap is going on. Um, and then I think it snowballs because men don't want to discuss it, they don't want to hear about it and they're not interested. Um, it means that women start thinking that they shouldn't discuss it or that they should be embarrassed about you know things like bleeding after birth or peeing themselves doing a workout or jumping off a step um, or diastasis recti or you know breast milk leaking out all these things but they shouldn't um, be embarrassed these are all really common incidences after giving birth um, that almost every new mother experiences and you know certainly like every new mother will um, experience at least one of those if not more, after they, they give birth. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to accept all those, some of those things or um, can be treated and some of them can be overcome and all the things are just, it's just the way the body is. It's just human nature. But hopefully having conversations like this um, will normalise it and bring it out in the open and clear up some of the confusion and some of the, the unknown elements of training after you have had a baby. <laughs> Okay, it's joke of the week time and we're gonna keep it family orientated. So there was a father and a son and they were chatting and uh, the son said to the dad, Dad, can you tell me what a solar eclipse is? And the dad said, 
know some. Right, that is the end of the show. Thank you for joining me, for keeping me company once again this week. Don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, where else are we on? Google Podcasts, Podbay, probably a few other places we're batting about on the internet as well. Do share it with friends. Don't forget to check out some of the older episodes too. We're coming up 30 episodes now, so there's been many hours of content and lots of different topics discussed and all sorts of uh, weird and wonderful guests. And you can listen and decide. And you, you tell me which ones you thought were weird, which ones were wonderful, who, which ones I was referring to. Anyway, it's Black Friday. You're probably driving home from the shops listening now um, without your dignity attached. You've lost, you've lost that hours ago after fighting with a stranger trying to get a, I know, like a 43 inch television from Curry's or something. Don't forget, you can still spend your spend local £100 voucher with us at Cross Functional Fitness and uh, lots of our different services. And come and try one of our classes from just £3.37 per class. £3.37. Like you, can barely, you can barely get a bar of chocolate or even a coffee for that nowadays with inflation. But there's no inflation here at Cross Functional Fitness. We deal in real terms, real currency, the, the currency of fitness. You, you can't print counterfeit fitness that like you can print money. Anyway, I've talked enough. Hope you have a, had a good Thanksgiving if you're listening and you happen to be American. If you are listening elsewhere in the world, I hope you had a good Thursday, the 25th of November, 2021. And I'll catch you here next week, same place, same time, on Strength for Tomorrow Radio. Train today so you can be stronger tomorrow.